Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on TV on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, ABC, CNN, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, a lot of other shows. And uh, she did her own 90-minute PBS special last year called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Well, we have a wonderful repeat guest. We have had Dr. Deborah Peel on our show before. She is a physician, and she has been very worried and concerned and a true advocate for patients in our country. Deborah Peel, MD, is the founder of Patient Privacy Rights, and she founded this organization in 2004. It now has over 10,000 members in every state, and she leads the Bipartisan Coalition for Patient Privacy Rights, representing 10 million Americans. And the coalition added historic privacy rights to ARRA, a ban on sales of personal health information, audit trails, a segmentation, breach notice, the right to prevent disclosure of personal health information, And she has done a tremendous amount of work with trying to get encryption for our medical records. She's going to talk much more about that. But since 2007, she has been one of the modern health care's 100 most powerful people in health care. You can find out so much more about her at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy, where we have a long bio. And also, you can find out more at patientprivacyrights.org. Deborah, thank you so much for joining us again. You're so welcome. I'm really happy to be here. Well, there is so much we need to know about what's going on with the vast changes in the technology with patient privacy rights in our medical records. So talk about it for us. Tell us how private are our medical records. The, the big problem, Mari, is our medical records are not private in electronic systems. We don't have any control over who can see and use them. And the reason, the reason that we work on this issue, the reason that we need your, your readers to, to really get involved, is because when people can see your sensitive health information, from prescriptions to genetics, 
they're going to make decisions about you and about whether you have a job. Not just you, but your children and your grandchildren. So the reason that I started Patient Privacy Rights is because health information should not be used to discriminate against people in jobs, in credit, I mean, in buying a car, in, in getting a home loan, in buying insurance. And again, and I'm not talking just about health insurance, but property insurance, other kinds of insurance you might need. And even health information can be used to discriminate against whether your kids get into schools or colleges. So this is not about marketing. This is about the use of your health information to harm you and your family. So what right now is going on in Congress with our medical records and protecting the privacy? Well, what's going on in Congress right now is, uh, and your listeners might know this, the stimulus bill has set aside about $20 billion to press to have electronic health record systems put in every doctor's office. And President Obama and President Bush before him both believe that every American should have an electronic medical record by 2014. And there, there are many good reasons for doing this. You know, for example, research is so much more simple if, if you can use technology to analyze all of the information and data. You know, I think everyone understands that. And, and we could look at which treatments work better. Uh, you know, across large numbers of people and really learn what's best for treatment, what really helps health. So the, there are tremendous positives to using technology. The problem is, is for research and for any use, these systems should be required to get your permission first before they use the data. And we don't have that in place. We don't have the kind of permission requirements that we've had forever in this country before with paper records. And so if we simply pour money into electronic systems, but they're clunkers, <laughs> right. you know, they're clunkers. It's like, it's like buying clunkers instead of buying Priuses, you know, then it's a prescription for disaster. And so right now the healthcare system is not set up for you to give your consent electronically, which is you know, is very easy to do, much easier than paper, but we don't have we don't have the right permissions in place for you to agree who can see and use your sensitive health records. You know, I think people don't even understand when they get those privacy notices. They have no idea how those records might be used. Why don't you explain to my audience how our medical records might be used? Sure. Well, Ironically, our electronic health records are not there for the two people who need them, <laughs> the patient and the doctor. Right. You know, those are the two people that can't get them. So all other parts, many parts of the, if you will, the business office functions in healthcare have been uh, digitalized. So, for example, um, health insurance claims are all digital. Uh, prescriptions are all digital. Um, you know, what you pay is digital, lab tests are digital, x-rays are digital. So all of these parts of our information, and, and there are many hospitals with electronic health records now that have all of these digital records. The problem is that the, the holders of these records sell them. 
and use them for purposes that that you would never agree to if you knew about it. So let, let me start with the clearest example of what happens to health information that no one would want. All 55,000 pharmacies in the United States are wired to be data mined every day, and that's been going on for 10 years. Your and your family's identifiable prescriptions with you know, all of your medicines and the doses uh, and the doctors that you see have been sold every day for, for over a decade. Now, who sells them and who buys them? Okay, there are a number of companies. Some are privately held, but some of them are, you know, you could, you could look up on the uh, stock market. Uh, there's a company called IMS Health. Uh, all they do is sell prescription records, and in the last year, tracked by Fortune magazine, their, their revenues were $2 billion. Uh. $2 billion. All they do is sell prescription records, and there are bigger companies than that. Huh. Express Scripts, Sure Scripts, Merck Medco. Uh, there are, you know, the best we can figure out, the sale of our prescription records alone in this country is worth tens of billions of dollars. It's it's obscene because that information is so revealing. So you who know, are they selling these to? Well, most of your audience would probably guess that prescription records are being sold to the drug companies. That's certainly one of the major users. I think Americans now know that um, the drug manufacturers that have a particular medicine, let's say, for depression, they want to know who you are. And so they want to send you coupons in the mail. They want to pay pharmacists uh, fees if they can switch you to a different brand. And they put pressure on your doctors, visiting their offices, giving them samples for you, uh, even... um, giving doctors other kinds of perks and benefits for prescribing certain products. So the pharmaceutical industry is a huge user of our personal prescriptions, and mm. no one has agreed to this. It's, it's, been, it's been a really, it's really been an awful practice, really has, really has interfered with, with what's best for, for patients. And, and, um, and so that's one of the ways the prescription records are used. Employers buy this information. Wow. Large employers buy this information. Um, uh, insurance companies buy this information. I mean, it's, it's incredible, incredibly valuable. Researchers buy this information. Now, some of these companies say that the information, uh, you know, is de-identified. They take your name off. But one of the things that you have to understand is it's very, very easy to re-identify health information uh, you know, if they if they do simple things like take off your name, I mean uh, that's not good enough when your address is on there, uh, the date that the prescription was filled, your doctor's name is on there. I mean, it's possible to take records like that and uh, crosswalk them with things like voter registration records and re-identify who you are. Exactly. So, so uh, prescription records are used and sold. Many um, hospitals sell patient information. Um, Many doctor's offices do. Or, uh, well, let me think. Um, Laboratories want to be able to sell lab results that people have had. You know, again, for researchers to look at variation, but this information all has your name on it. And again, it, 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 uh, you know, some of these uses, some kinds of research, some kinds of uses may be ones that you would agree with, 
but very few Americans, in fact, according to polls, less than 1% of Americans would ever agree for researchers to just use any of their health information without permission. And it's not transparent at all. I no. mean, most people don't know how much of this stuff is sold. And in fact, I'm sure most people are shocked to even hear this, Deborah. Absolutely. This is one of the biggest issues that we've been pressing Congress and the Federal Trade Commission to investigate. In fact, on our website, um, if, you're, if your listeners want to look, uh, on a, it, you can put into the search engine evidence of disclosure. And there's a paper there that we wrote for Congress and for the Federal Trade Commission outlining all the different kinds of businesses involved in the sale of health information. And let's uh, give that website again for those sure, of you who are listening. www.patientprivacyrights.org, O-R-G. And this particular paper that we put together is called Evidence of Disclosure. And it, and it looks at all the different kinds of corporations that the public has never heard of that are out there buying and selling our health information. For example, um, the largest insurer in this nation, it's got a presence in all 50 states, uh, aggregates and sells the data of, uh, I think it's 59 million Americans uh, to, again, major employers to look at the cost uh, the cost that they may be paying for people with a particular illness, let's say, uh, that, that work in their company compared to other companies, uh, you know, in, this, in the same uh, industry. So uh, large insurers sell our data. Hospitals sell our data. Labs sell our data. And um, Now, it, but, but, uh, Deborah, if this, if this data is being used to make decisions about whether we can get insurance mm-hmm. um, or whether we can get a job, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, it should be subject to the Fair Credit Reporting Act as, you know, if they have these big databases, that should be subject to the same uh, rules as the credit reporting agencies so that we should have access to this data, and if there's errors, which I'm sure there are, because even credit reports have, 70% of those have errors, we should have a right to see those, we have a a right to correct those, we have a right to dispute those, we should have the same with those records that they're selling. We we couldn't agree more with you, Mari. Uh, In fact, um, that's that's a particular principle that our bipartisan coalition that represents 10 million Americans has been working for. You know, we have one of our principles has been no secret databases. Right. In Transparency, right. We cannot imagine how many how many databases there are floating around even within a particular hospital system that have our information. It it's you know, it's it's kind of a joke inside the hospital industry that, you know, it's 11 o'clock at night. Do you, do you know where all of your data is? And the answer is no. We don't right. know where all our data is. Nurses and doctors can download giant sets of information. Um, you know, a- any given hospital system may be using uh, 150 to 300 different kinds of software applications, all of which have databases with health information in it. I mean, the systems are so complex, and if you know anything about electronic systems, you know, if you have a database, then you have to keep 
copies of it in case something happens to it. Right. It's called right. redundancy. So hospitals, complex medical care facilities, don't even know where all their data is. And then, and then, not only do they not know where it is inside the system, but many of them use outside vendors to manage the data uh, or to do things with it, called business associates. Business associates could be accountants, could be auditors, uh, you know, could be lawyers, uh, you know, checking to see what's going on or doing things with the data for them, and they have copies of this of this data. Right. So there's a whole there's a whole nother. Well, first of all, let me just say that that because of the way that the privacy rule was gutted in 2002 and turned into a disclosure rule, we have no right to control our electronic health information. So the providers, everything from a solo doctor like me to uh, a major hospital corporation, um, you know, with 10 or 20 hospitals around the country to self-insured employers, everyone from me to all of these entities with their thousands of employees get to decide for you, in place of you, if they need your electronic health information to treat you uh, for payment, for claims, or for healthcare operations. And that is a, a sort of a black box phrase. It means virtually any business purpose that the institution can dream up, like selling your data. Uh, so all of these providers, these covered entities, and there are about 4 million of them, in turn, can freely share your electronic health information with their business associates, and there are millions more of those. So, you know, we do not have a system that, that, that's even vaguely safe for what is the most sensitive information about you on Earth, all, all of the things about your mind and body, from genetics, like I was saying, to prescription records, to mental health records, to sexually transmitted diseases, and so on, all of that information plus plus financial information and the kind of information that's so easily used for identity theft. You know, this information is not safe, is not protected yet. And and that's why that's why we were able to get some important new controls in the stimulus bill. Uh, we we got breach notice finally, like the state of California's had for right. for data for a long time. Right. We finally got breach notices for your electronic health information. And let me just clarify for those of you listening that what she's talking about is if one of these databases is acquired by an unauthorized person, then you as a entity have to disclose. That's what she's talking about, a security breach notice, is that you have to disclose. And we've had that in California for several years. And then we added medical information last year to our state law. So right. if your medical information is disclosed to an author, unauthorized person, if it's either hacked or if someone who had no right to it got it. On the inside. Yeah, on yeah. the inside. Anyone who is unauthorized who has it, um, you have a duty to disclose to the potential victims. Exactly, exactly. And we, we've, we've needed that. The other big protection that our coalition worked hard to get into the stimulus bill that will be required soon is a right to have audit trails that tell you, since you can't control who sees your information, we should at least be able to see, okay, who are all the people 
using our electronic health information and for what purpose. So we're supposed to be able to get audit trails that will tell us exactly what's gone on for the past three years. Now, of course, the consumer protections that were in the stimulus bill um, are some of the last things that that the Department of Health and Human Service is addressing. You know, the consumer protections they're not dealing with up front, like the need the need to be able to segment. That means lock away or add special protections to certain sensitive information. You know, they're not dealing with that up front, even though every state in this nation requires medical records, you know, for sensitive conditions, genetic, um, uh, mental health and others to be protected, to be to be kept with greater protections than your general medical record. Even though all states require that, there's there has not been that requirement for electronic medical records. And you know, you know, your audience can picture this. If you have electronic medical records, and they're so easy to disclose, you know this. You just yeah, you just the email. The entire yeah. thing goes off. Right. You know, we have got to be able to take out, you know, segment the sensitive parts so that they can't easily be sent uh, along with things that are not sensitive uh, out to the world. At least segregated somehow, Absolutely. yeah. Or so redact. we got that in yeah. too. So the, but the problem is, of course, you know, the government and private industry, they want this health care system wired now. They, they want to buy and use really what we call kind of Model T Ford or even dinosaur technology systems instead of using the stimulus money to build in the kind of rights that Americans have always had and still have to control their most sensitive personal information, which is health records. So, you know, so this is, this is just a huge problem. People want to use the, use the information for good, there's no question. It can it it it's going to be critical for finding, you know, new cures, for finding what's the best treatment, um, for finding even causes of diseases that could never be detected or discovered if people had to look through millions and millions of paper records. I mean, technology can really do great things, but but what our coalition is saying is the information should move just like it. Did always in the paper system, with your knowledge, with you understanding, with you agreeing to it being used. Right. People shouldn't just get to take it, and that's what we have today. And and also limit who gets to see it. Only those who really need to see it. Absolutely. And who knows best who needs to see it but you. Exactly. Exactly. We're speaking with a wonderful physician. We're speaking with Dr. Deborah Peel, who is the founder of Patient Privacy Rights. She founded this organization in 2004 to help protect patient privacy rights. Right now, they have over 10,000 members in every state, and she leads the bipartisan coalition for patient privacy rights, representing over 10 million persons. You can find out more at patientprivacyrights.org. And you're listening to KUCI. 88.9 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm the host, and I'm thrilled to be interviewing Deborah. Deborah, let's get back to the issue of when you're talking about transferring all this sure, data. Sure. How about the issue of encryption? I know that's been important to you, too. Yes, thank you. It, it has. Uh, that's another kind of protection that Congress really saw we needed. Uh, if you can believe this, 
most most medical systems were not encrypting our data. I mean, it's stunning if you think about it. And and your listeners may remember not too long ago uh, there was a laptop computer stolen from the VA system and it had 24.5 million patient records on, on a single laptop and right. it wasn't encrypted. Right. And so this is still the standard for healthcare, if you can believe it. Well, we is, hear is, about these data brain- lying around open. And so the stimulus yeah. bill now requires uh, that that health information uh, be encrypted or, it, you know, it doesn't actually have to be encryption technology, but technology that renders the information unreadable, indecipherable, unusable, because there's going to be even newer ways of hiding and disguising data than encryption. But that's in the stimulus bill. And so pretty soon they're going to have to make sure that, that you know, if a laptop is lost, uh, you know, it shouldn't be readable. It should right. be safe. And and we hear about so many data breaches at oh, hospitals. Yeah. And, you know, the, the way our state laws for data breach, by the way, you know, this, this yeah. federal law is including data breach, but we didn't have a data breach national law for other for financial information we still don't we right. still have state laws right. but even with those laws we hear every day about all of the data breaches we're talking about millions and millions of files of sensitive information about all of us Absolutely. and the the law that we first wrote which California law yeah. was the first uh, security breach legislation yeah. and we tried to give a carrot and a, a stick and the carrot was if you encrypt yeah. then you don't have to disclose these security breaches so they basically said if you've had data acquired a sensitive data acquired yeah. by an unauthorized person and um, it's not encrypted then you must disclose mm-hmm. and so we're still seeing so many data breaches where they're still not making the information unreadable to unauthorized oh, yeah. persons Oh yeah, no. In fact, there was there was recently a survey of um, chief information officers at at major hospitals around around the country, and most of them uh, aren't doing aren't aren't putting these protections in place. They're yeah. not they're not doing it yet, even though it's required by the new law. And and you know, and there will be penalties and enforcement coming soon. We hope, but they just they just. Uh, uh, yeah, I know, guess it's too the much need. work. They, yeah, they, they don't see they don't see the problems, and and you know, and you know the repu- the damage to the reputation of a particular hospital, uh, you know, could be could could be something that that the hospital and the community can't recover from. I mean, the loss of people's trust, and 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 the millions it would take to try to make the, make things okay. That you know, again, what's different between the loss of medical information and, let's say, identity theft. I mean, identity theft is a nightmare that you can recover from, and I know that you're very good at helping people figure out how to do that. But once your health information is out, you cannot recover it. There's no way today to even know how many different places have your health records in how many hundreds or thousands of databases in the U.S. or around the world. We just have an incredibly dangerous situation here. 
And you know, Deborah, I'm hearing so many victims of medical identity theft. Not only the financial part, but that's exactly the problem that we're having. People find out that someone has gotten health care in their name or used their their social security number to get health care with or without insurance. Exactly. And so when you're talking about having the right, I, I, I try and we don't really have a protocol for how victims can no, clean up the mess. So what I've been having people do, and in fact, I just put this in and you could comment on it because yeah. the, the, the book hasn't gone to print yet, yeah. but I just wrote this new book, The Complete Idiot Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft, and I yeah. actually have a chapter on medical identity theft. Oh, my God. And the problem is, I mean, you could go to the Medical Information Bureau, but that isn't going to give you everything. Oh, mm-hmm. they no, 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 no. That, that, they don't, they're... You know, this is one of the problems for the future. We really need an entirely different kind of technical situation for health information. We need a a system of regional health banks where you alone, you the patient, you accumulate because you can every health record about you and you can keep a single copy, a complete copy of all your records in the health bank. And the health bank, unlike every other data bank that has health information, the health bank will never disclose it without your permission. So you're in control of your information in the health bank, and you're not anywhere else. So if you have a complete copy like that, then, um, you know, then okay. when you show up in an emergency room, you can let that emergency room have exactly the information you need them to have from your health bank account that you know is up to date and is correct. The problem so, is, is this is that um, when someone else establishes medical file in your name, absolutely, that's a real problem because first oh, of all, they may have the wrong blood type. Uh, oh, they may have, sure. you know, obviously different uh, allergies than you do. I mean, it could literally mean life and death. Well, and, that's that's why we need a place where we're in control of our own record, our own complete accurate copy, you know, in a bank that doesn't add anything to it unless we put it there. That's the reason, you know, to protect against damage from wrong medical information. And there will continue to be because people have similar names, right. the staff that check you in uh, might not spell your name right, they might get things wrong, they might get your address wrong. There's going to be a lot of reasons why there will be wrong accounts. And we don't, this is, this is the, one of the worst parts of, of this, uh, Mari, and you might know more about this being a lawyer, but, you know, at least in paper record systems, you know, the uh, wrongful information can be taken out, can be taken out. Now, we don't have any way of doing that with electronic health information because we don't even know where all the copies of our records are. Exactly. As I explained. So, again, you know, in order to prevent uh, wrong information from getting into your into your account and into your uh, you know into the into the places that you go for treatment it's going to be essential for each American to have their own records that they know are true because they've seen them all they've accumulated them from XYZ hospital from different doctors offices from labs and they can verify which ones are really them and then not allow those to be sent out to cause further damage. You know, if you get, you know, if you get records, let's say from I don't know 
Smith Hospital in Dallas, Texas, and it comes to you and it has your name on it but isn't you, you can, you can, you can segment that you know, inside a health bank and not let it go out again. And you can send people only the correct information that's up-to-date and true about you. I mean, Americans, particularly with electronic systems, are going to have to be more in control of their electronic information. And we are the only ones, because it's information about us, who can actually accumulate everything about us and make sure that it's correct. There's no doctor, there's no place today that has uh, a cradle-to-grave, accurate, complete record about you. So the good news is, as we move forward, if we use privacy-enhancing technologies like health banks and electronic consent, you know, you could, be, you could set up consent directives that say, uh, when I'm unconscious in an emergency room, I want this information that the American College of Emergency Physicians says they need for people that show up unconscious in, in emergency rooms. I want this sent automatically from my health bank account there. Or you could say, you know, I want everything that happens to me health-wise to go to my primary care doctor's office, a copy of it. Or, but I want um, only my changes in medicine and new allergies to go to my uh, dermatologist, to my podiatrist, and so on. So you could slice and dice who gets your information using directives or you could even block out certain pieces of sensitive information down to the data field using consent tools so that, you know, you know, your, uh, what, your orthopedic surgeon doesn't need to see your marital therapy notes. Right. That kind of thing. You know, right. we could right. slice and dice who gets what information in the ways that Americans have always, have actually have always used. I mean, we never tell different doctors the same things. You know, you wouldn't tell a gastroenterologist the same thing um, you would tell, uh, you know, the doctor that takes care of your broken bones or your dentist. I mean, we, we've always been selective in what information we share with which doctors, and a consent, electronic consents can do that uh, very easily. You could set them up in advance, and, and if there's some situation that's not covered by your electronic consent, then you could be pinged uh, on your cell phone or, you know, by email if need be, and you could give consent at that time. But, you know, this is another thing that's very, very critical. You know, it, you remember Octomom, right? Yes. Yes, she's Clooney right in our Orange County. <laughs> you know, all those people yeah. uh-huh. have thousands of hospital employees snooping in their electronic medical records. Right. Now, people got fired. But you know what? That's after the fact. That, that, they were punished because, because they got in. Yeah, they got caught. Uh What that means is that anybody, any hospital employees can get into your records just in the same way they did the others. But guess what? Who's going to be watching to see who snoops in your records? What if you have a nasty ex-spouse? What if you have a snoopy neighbor? Um, You know, what if somebody is trying to find information out about you, um, you know, for some kind of legal matters? You know, all they have to do is find some hospital employee that's willing to to look in your records. Because these systems were designed so poorly that in every hospital in in America, thousands of people, all the entire physician staff, all the nursing staff, and in some some hospitals, even all of the clerks and the other 
employees that really don't need to see medical records can see them too. So we, we have systems that, I don't know what they were designed for, but people weren't thinking. Whoever designed these systems absolutely wasn't thinking uh, about protecting this incredibly sensitive information. And and again... Deborah, I got a question, though. And, yeah. and what about those, and I'm sure you've heard it because I've heard this too, yeah. of those that say, well, if you have your own medical records that yeah. you are in control of, yeah. you can keep out what you want to. Well, and look, people can do that already and always have, by the way. I mean, the idea that you would ever tell anyone everything is simply wrong. People don't do that. Right. You know, we don't trust every doctor the same way. I mean, I know I don't, and I'm a doctor. Right, and you're going to say... I'm very selective about who I tell to anyone. Now, here's the thing. And, and right, we you're going to We have always tell. been in charge sure. of who, who learns what about us, and many people go to great lengths to keep certain doctors from knowing other things. Now, that's a part of medicine. That's a part of medicine, and so it is the doctor's job. If there's something that you don't mention or if there's something that could affect uh, the diagnosis or treatment, they need to ask you about it. You know, if you never mention anything about being on uh, an antidepressant, it's up to them to say, look, I'm a cardiologist. I need to know if you're on any antidepressants because they can affect your heart. And, Deborah, you know who wants to know this stuff and make sure that everything is in there is the insurance companies. Well, those, of course, are the last people that Americans trust because <laughs> right. Americans know that the insurance company is not looking out for their health. The insurance company is looking out for their bottom line. And, and in particular, you've had uh, horrendous scandals in, in California where, you know, they literally, this wasn't too long ago, a year or two ago, really, as I recall, but um, I think it was one of the insurance companies was asking doctors to send them more patient information uh, from the past so they could see if it would disqualify them from current treatment. Right. I mean, they were actually asking doctors to divulge more information. It is, you know, uh, it, it's crazy. And then, Well, isn't that they, what the Medical Information Bureau has? They, they have all these insurance companies that belong to them yes. so that they can find out if you have something that would be a pre-existing condition that then yeah. they can keep you from having yeah. health insurance. Right. Well, it, it, it's, it's not just, well... For, for one thing, the stimulus bill says very, well, uh, excuse me, not the stimulus bill, but what's being argued about in the health care reform bill is that they're going to knock that out. They're not going to let insurers disqualify anyone for pre-existing conditions. But we all know that even if, if they have to cover us for pre-existing conditions, they're still going to use them to jack up rates right. uh, and, and create other barriers to getting needed care because that's what insurance companies do. And so, um, you know, what we ha- the other the other problem is is the medical information bureau is essentially what the different health insurance plans share with one another about from that comes from claims right. claims information. And right. So we don't even know if, of course, the claims information is accurate. Uh, you know, the good for news, example, is, yeah, but the good news with the medical information bureau is because it's considered. A, a specialty consumer report. People don't know this, but they can get a copy of the file 
on they, each they person. They can't get exactly the same copy that they share with insurers. I don't well, believe. They, they I can, think they have a dumbed-down copy for the public. Well, but they do a, have to share something with yeah, them. Yeah, it's, it's almost like the credit bureaus. They yeah. sell one thing to the commercial entities, gotcha. and they and you get your consumer report. Yeah. And it's you're right. It's the same kind of thing, but you can go to MIB.com, medicalinformationbureau.com, oh, and sure. you may or may not have a... Uh, no, a it, report it, in there, but it's a good idea to it check will. it for free. Yeah, you you can check it for free once a year if you've yeah. had, if you've applied for health insurance in the last seven years, absolutely, or life insurance. Very very important yeah. to do because yeah. there are errors. Um, you all yes. might remember or might have heard of uh, the so-called um, e-patient Dave DeBroncart, who uh, famously uh, was treated, I think, at Harvard and wanted to use a Google personal health record, and so. Harvard uh, dumped his data into his personal health record. It was filled, filled with errors, wrong claims, diagnoses he never had. And so, you know, all of that was passed on to the Medical Information Bureau that you're talking about, Mari. Yes. So just, just because something comes out of a hospital doesn't mean it's accurate. And, and, you know, your listeners will know this. How many times have you gotten a wrong diagnosis? Right. It's very, very common. Certainly in my field, yes. mental health, uh, people will, uh, you know, often it takes five to ten years, for example, for the correct diagnosis of manic depressive illness to be made. And guess what happens before then? Lots of wrong diagnoses. Again, this is, this is why Americans are really going to need to take charge of their electronic health records, have a complete copy in a safe place like a health bank, so that they can make sure the wrong information doesn't get out about them and that they can keep the information from going places that they would never want it to go. Yes, and, you know, we should have a place, a central, you know, in a way, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. there, there's this, the both sides of me kind of argue yeah. with myself because on yeah. one hand, I think we need a central repository, like we have the three credit bureaus, and that's sure. a central repository for all the credit that's being reported about us. Yeah. All right, and we should be having some place like that for our our health information, so that we could access it, we could review it, we could dispute it, we could delete things that are erroneous, and at least have if that's going to be shared with insurance carriers, and if that's going to be shared with our health insurance companies, and it's going to be shared with doctors and others, we should have the right to make it transparent so we can have well, we it be correct. It. Yes. I, I agree with you, Mari, yeah. but frankly, why do credit bureaus, why, why do I have to pay a credit bureau to get my financial information? That's actually the wrong model. Why don't we own and control our financial information in the same way we have the rights to control our health information? Right. You know, so, so that's the that's the idea of the health I agree with We you. don't have to yeah. apply to someone else to get in our information. We are the only ones legally entitled to get all of our information and collect it, have complete copies, and so on. And so, I agree. But what happens, like you were just telling us yeah. earlier, about all of these different data banks that are sharing information that we don't have access to? So, if we're talking about the, you said the pharmaceuticals are sharing yeah. information, yeah. doctor hospitals are sharing and selling. Yeah. So, if it's long as they're doing it. At the very least, and believe me, I don't disagree yeah. with you yeah. at all, yeah. but if it's already happening, we have to be 
realistic and say, if it's out there, we should at least oh, have a we right should, to we see have, it. We should see it. And, and this brings right. up what's still missing yeah. in health care reform yeah. and what was missing in the stimulus bill, which is we need Congress to put us to restore our rights to control health information in electronic systems. We had it, and then the HIPAA privacy rule was gutted in 2002, and we have not had that right restored. We need that restored. And so one of the things that, that we're, uh, we're going to be launching soon, Mari, is a, is a campaign, and we need all your listeners to get involved, to, to put us back in control of our electronic health information. And we're going to call this campaign the Do Not Disclose List. It's going to work just like the Do Not Call List. If, you're, if you put your name on this list, then anyone, the idea is anyone who has any of your health information, any kind of it or any piece of it, cannot use it or disclose it without getting your permission. Now, is this going to be on your website? or How is it going yep. to work? Yep. Okay, tell us well, about it. it the, in the beginning, of course, because it isn't for real yet, it's <sighs> going to be a petition. Okay. And so listeners would be saying, look, yeah, I want to control all of my health information in electronic systems because those are the rights that we have always had as Americans. We have strong laws and medical ethics that say in virtually all situations, very few exceptions, I'm the one who decides who can see and use my health information. And so that's what this petition will be. And if 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 a half a million people sign this, this petition, Mari, if a million people sign this, I guarantee you we can get changes from the government. We can get the government to put us back in charge. The problem has been most Americans have no idea. They have zero control of their electronic health information. And so we think that this, this list, when people start hearing about it, this do not disclose list, yeah, I want to sign on it, people will start to realize, wait a minute, our rights got taken away, exactly. got taken away in electronic systems, and yeah, I want them back. And, and we, do have, we do have a button on the homepage of our website, www.patientprivacyrights.org, and you'll see you know, one of those little circles with a line through it. Uh, right, right. The Do Not Disclose list, you can sign up for it, and we will, we will start the petition. You can sign up for it actually today. Good. Uh, and we will we will also keep you posted about the progress, how many people are signing, what's going on with this. But we think it could really catch fire, just like the do not call list. Yes. And then we could eventually, you know, get the government to even take it over, like, you know, like uh, the do not call list is now. Federal Trade Commission. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it started out with AARP. You know, it was a consumer organization that started it, just like that's what we are. We're out there being the voice of <laughs> right. of the people. You should get uh, AARP on board, too. Well, we would like to. We're going to be looking for all kinds of groups that, that want to take part in this because it's just not fair. It's, it's just so wrong to mislead people and make them think that everything is fine and safe with electronic records when it's, that's very far from the truth. Yes. Far from the truth. You know, if you're going to solve problems, you got to you got to you got to tell people what the problems are first. You can't just try to kind of cover over them or slide by them or make people think that they have to choose between having electronic records and having privacy, which is baloney. Yes. We can, we can 
there are great technologies to fix the problems, but we can't get the problems fixed unless everybody says, hey, I want to be on the do not disclose list. I fix the problem. That's what this list will say. Yes. Fix the problem. We're speaking with Dr. Deborah Peel, who has founded the Patient Privacy Rights, and you'll find it at patientprivacyrights.org. She founded that back in 2004 to try and get back our privacy rights as patients. It has over 10,000 members, which those of you who are listening can also join. Uh, she leads the Bipartisan Coalition for Patient Privacy, representing 10 million Americans. You know, a lot of people really don't understand HIPAA. They think that when they get those privacy notices that that's really protecting their privacy. And could you just, in a nutshell, kind of give a little overview of what it really is and why it doesn't do what we think it does? Yeah. No, this is one of the most misleading, vexing problems we've got. If you say the HIPAA privacy rule, everyone thinks because it has privacy in the name, that it protects our privacy. Well, it did. When President Bush first blessed the regulations called the privacy rule, when he first put them into place, when he took office, it required your permission, your consent, before your health information was used for treatment, for paying claims, or for healthcare operations. A simple sentence. They had to get your consent before they did anything with your data. Okay. That's what happened when he took office. But uh, within a year, his administration decided to eliminate that consumer protection. That, that's a key, key consumer protection. As you know, the Bush administration eliminated many consumer protections across Many industries, uh, you know, the financial industry, for example, leading to this massive nightmare we've had the last year or so. But anyway, so um, in 2002, that protection, that, that right to control who sees your information or uses it for treatment, payment, and healthcare operation, that was replaced with regulatory permission for the providers, and there are over 4 million of them, to use and disclose your health information for treatment, payment, or healthcare operations. Now, you have to think about it a minute. The control over who gets to snoop in or use your records shifts from you, the patient, to over 4 million providers. Because there's no prior consent. Because, no. They are the ones now, if consent is replaced, with permission for them to use your information, that means they are the ones that decide when and for what purpose your information is used, not you. You can't prevent them from using it. Right. You can't do anything. You can only whine if you think they violate your privacy to a federal agency. And good luck with that. And you you don't even have a a private right of action. Uh, No. No. So you can't sue them individually. You can go to, you know, you could... You, could, you can state, actually you go. Have a private right of action in every state, but at the state level, you have to prove damages. Right. So that's that's very difficult. That's a big it's, problem. It's like, who can hire a lawyer? Who can do this? Right. Unless you have become a victim of identity theft, and even yeah. then, it's hard because a lot of the yeah. identity theft, is, you know, unless you die from something that was wrong from your health 
your medical identity theft, you know, what are your damages? Okay, so somebody knows it. The, the judges aren't really open to hearing and understanding that yet. No, so. and, and that's, that's why it, it's, it's, it, it's so critical to, uh, to put the control of who has your information back in your hands. But the lobbyists there are so much stronger than the consumer oh, no people. Kidding. You know, I mean, I no know kidding. how hard you've worked and you're a nonprofit and yeah. all these other nonprofit privacy organizations. How can you go up against these large insurance companies, these big pharmaceutical companies? I mean, it's, it's just stacked against consumers, isn't it? It's totally stacked against consumers. The ways, there, there are ways to win against the lobbyists. One of them is, and the main one is, is if you have enough people, if there really are enough people that know about the problem, then you can beat them. I mean, this is, it's really a numbers game. And so, you know, our coalition that represents 10 million is bipartisan. We have the American Conservative Union. We have the ACLU. We have the Bill of Rights Foundation. Um, you know, we have uh, other kinds of you know, consumer and privacy organizations. So if, if you get enough Americans, enough people that vote, you can defeat them. But that means and then you gotta people get it have on, to know what the problems are. And, and you and, have to get it on 60 Minutes. <laughs> yes, yes. Do you no know what kidding. I mean? I mean, my little show, yes. I'm, I'm trying to help to, yes. uh, to expose this so that my yes. listeners who had no idea how much information was being bought yes. and sold and shared about them until today, yes. you know, that's helpful. But it really needs to be a major media campaign because... Otherwise, yeah. people just don't know about it. There's just we're we're that is exactly what we're going to try to do with the do not disclose list. We're we're looking for uh, the the technology uh, te- the technology companies that make software and systems that protect privacy. We're looking for support from them. We're looking for support from consumer organizations. We're we're gonna we're gonna try to get the kind of funding to make this a national campaign and. You know, and people can donate to that on our website. But we, you are absolutely right. We, the whole point is we need a national campaign. And we think Do Not Disclose is powerful enough and catchy enough, you know, maybe it could go viral. That's what we're hoping. You know we're what, Deborah? Lots I, of people will help us with this. You know, I remember when we wanted to get the legislators to get on board and help us get some laws passed for identity yeah. theft. And what we had to do literally yeah. was show them how it could affect them and, and literally get information on them. That's what you guys need to do is instead of, you know, for the Farrah Fawcett's and others who were exposed, somebody has to show how much information can be shown about these legislators. Then they'll take it to heart. Oh, you know, there's no question. And we, you know, we agonize that at some level because, you know, we don't, no, you have to we get don't want to con- reveal people's private information, no, no, but, no. but I understand what you're no, talking no, about. No, I met with their permission. I remember when yeah. we when we tried to yeah. get Diane Feinstein on board mm-hmm. in California. She's our senator. And what we did was we, not me, but her mm-hmm. staff and others were able to show her how much, not to reveal it publicly, but to show her how much they could get on her. Oh yeah, and and do it with her consent. So yes. that's what I'm. I'm not gotcha. suggesting that you oh, get okay. it and reveal it everywhere. No, no, no. Uh, okay. But 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 to go to them, to go to the top people and say, you know, how would you like to see what is being sold about you? Let's oh, yeah. let's do it. 
and yeah. let's find it and let's show it to you. Mm-hmm. And and then you get somebody <laughs> on board like that. It's it's almost like, you know, before Ted Kennedy died, you know, all that when he was on the you know, the watch list and he couldn't fly. All of a sudden everybody took to heart about the do not fly list. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm thinking is get yeah. somebody go and say, are you willing to let us find all this information and let you see who is seeing and who is sharing your information? I think yeah. they'd be shocked. Oh, absolutely. 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 So, so tell us when people right now, what can they do right now to protect themselves? Um, you know, from their information getting out. Is there, are there some tips that you have for us? Well, yeah, there are a couple of tips. One tip I would give, give your listeners is please do not go get a genetic test unless it's under an alias. There, you have no way to protect that, even despite the new Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act. It really doesn't protect you. So it is not a safe time yet to get to get sensitive genetic testing as much as as much as you might want it if you get if you get it do not get it under your own name you know get it uh you know an alias get it some other way don't Uh, steal an identity to do it (laughs) yeah yeah don't don't do that don't do that um the other thing that that we we have on our website we have a a consumer toolkit uh, and it's free you can download your own consent forms and you can take them to every lab, to every pharmacy, to every doctor, to every hospital uh, or place you go for treatment, and you can assert your rights under the laws of your state, and I guarantee you, whichever state you live in, those laws are stronger than HIPAA and the privacy rule, and they're supposed to prevail. So are medical ethics, and you can inform these people that they, you know, that they must not Disclose your information or your family's information without your permission. You can take them your own forms and you can put them on notice. Now, some of them are going to say to you, uh, well, gee, we don't have to do that. But you can start to press for your rights because they are violating your rights. I mean, every pharmacy in this nation is data mined daily and the information sold. I took took several pharmacies that exact form to prove uh, in federal court, that I could not control my health information, that my fundamental right to privacy was being violated. And so, you know, that enabled us to file a federal lawsuit to try to reverse the changes in the privacy rule. We, you know, we didn't, we didn't get it. But you can, at the very least, put, put, these, put these people on notice. Right. You don't want them to do this. What you will find is that many smaller doctor's offices, you know, will be happy to sign. Right. They'll be happy forms. to do it. Many of them will be happy to, because they they have paper systems or if they use electronic systems, they're very careful not to sell the information or disclose it. And you know, and and this is another thing. I mean you may think it's wonderful if your doctor's office has an electronic health record system, but you better ask the doctor and the business manager, does the software company that has that provides that electronic medical record, do they have a right to use or sell the data? Okay, well, we're going to have to go. I can't believe it. But we're going to send everybody to patientprivacyrights.org. And, Deborah, we're going to have to have you back because we know you're doing wonderful work out there, and we sure appreciate everything you're doing. Oh, we appreciate you too, Mari. Thank you so much. Okay, we'll have you on again. Thank you. Okay.
You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every week. Download our podcast at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. See our upcoming guests. Download our archived interviews and write us about what's important to you in the information age. Thank you. Bye. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.